Dirty Bird Podcast contains foul language and is not appropriate for young fledglings. Listener discretion is advised. America, America, America's bird, fuck yeah! Bald eagles are so fucking awesome, America's bird, fuck yeah! There he is, munching on a dead possum. Russia bear is a small thimble compared to America's big bird symbol. America's bird, fuck yeah! Freedom feathers in your face, yeah. America's bird, fuck yeah! Once real rare, but now commonplace, yeah. Catching fish, fuck yeah! Flying high, fuck yeah! Two inch challenge, fuck yeah! Building nests, fuck yeah! Stealing food, fuck yeah! Forming gangs, fuck yeah! Killing birds, fuck yeah! Eating trash, fuck yeah! Massive poops, fuck yeah! DDT, fuck no, fuck no! Hello! And welcome to Dirty Bird Podcast, a podcast that is serious about birds, but nothing else. I'm Dr. John, and in each episode, I pick an individual bird species and tell you everything you need to know about them. I read all the research articles, so you don't have to. I'm going to start off this episode with a voice message sent in from good friend of the show, Charlie. Listeners, feel free to send in voice messages anytime to have me play them on the show. I love hearing from y'all, whether it's suggesting birds to cover, telling me what you thought about an episode, or just shooting the bird shit, talking about your birding experiences. Uh, Anyway, here's Charlie. Hello, Dr. John. This is Charlie sending you a message to thank you for creating what I consider to be one of the best podcasts ever. I can't get enough of it. I only wish I had discovered it sooner. Uh, The one thing that I am missing from your podcast are birds over here in the western part of the U.S. Thanks so much for that compliment, Charlie. And you're in luck because this week I'm talking about a bird found on the west coast, east coast, coast to coast, the majestic bald eagle. Not such a majestic call, though, as we'll talk about a little later. Um, I'm so happy to be doing this episode. It's been suggested by multiple listeners. Um, So thank all y'all for uh, writing in. And finally, I saved it for the 4th of July, the perfect time to talk about uh, the bald eagle, America's bird. Uh, This is also a very special episode because uh, we have a return of Punchy Joe. Uh, my father-in-law, Punchy Joe, um, always a great bird enthusiast. Um, I love having him on. Probably one of my favorite episodes is the Osprey one where he talks about the Ospreys. So check that out. But anyway, um, let's go ahead and just listen in to Punchy Joe talk about the bald eagles that nest just across the creek from his dockside tiki bar. I think it really helps uh, set the stage for uh, what we'll be talking on later on in the show about the bald eagles. All right, I'm here on the Chisholm Creek with Punchy Joe on this nice, windy morning, windy, sunny morning. Um, And we are actually looking at a bald eagle nest right now. Um, Joe, when did you first, was that bald eagle nest here when you moved here? Uh, No, that... that, uh, That's about 10 years. I've been here 26, six years, and about 10 years ago that eagle moved in. And we've seen... um, Several of its offspring hang around. I've seen as many as maybe seven eagles over there at one time. Wow. But they uh, they don't live there. Only two live there. 
right now. Yeah, and it's in like a patch of some tall pines over there um, in the living pines. Um, a pretty big nest they've obviously been building to every single year. And yeah, it's always awesome to, to see the eagles. And yeah, you'll see their young ones a lot, you know, with the, um, uh, the darker coloring. And, um, and then, yeah, I actually saw like probably just two weeks ago, I saw a bald, one of those bald eagles just snatch a fish right out of the water right out here very gracefully just kind of flew down and with one leg just kind of plink, plucked it right out but Joe you said you've never seen one catch a fish no normally what I see is they're scavengers I find them a lot like a vulture uh, <laughs> I've, I've seen them eating raccoons that have floated up on the bank yeah and um, they are always chasing down ospreys and grabbing their fish yep so uh, I, I and I'll, I see them also follow the uh, crabbers. So oh. a lot of times a uh, menhaden is uh, being swapped out for fresh, and uh, eagles will swoop down and grab the uh, menhaden following the uh, work boats. Oh wow, dang, that's a uh, yeah, that's pretty smart of them, I guess, uh, grabbing all that. And uh, yeah, I definitely have seen them chase the ospreys too. I'm talking a lot about that in this episode. Um, uh, and uh, we see them also a lot of times r rising up on the thermals and stuff too, and then just shooting out over the York River or the bay. Um, I looked it up, Joe, and they'll travel like 50 to 100 miles in a day. Yeah, you know, I, wouldn't, so. I wouldn't doubt that. Uh, I've seen them up to, I would think, I'm not a good judge, but I'd say a couple thousand feet. And then they just take off and, and soar. Yep. And uh, there's no flapping involved. Yeah. Yeah, very minimal effort for that. And, yeah, they'll be, like, mixed in with vultures and stuff, ri rising those air currents, the air thermals up. Sure. Uh, but yeah. you can always tell them because their wingspan is flat, where vulture has a slight V. In yeah, it. that V, yep, yep, of the, of the turkey From vultures. The yeah, yep. if you see them in silhouette. Well, anything else cool you've seen with those bald eagles over the years? Um, well, um, it's pretty neat when they when they tussle with the with the osprey because they will fly upside down and show them the aggression of their <laughs> talons and uh, sometimes that can be pretty impressive. I've also seen them uh, do some sort of twirling, dancing, mating thing where they're kind of two eagles are locked claw and they come spinning down. Yep. So I uh, haven't seen that very often, but I have seen it, and uh, it was very impressive. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, I've, I've never been able to see that, yeah, that courtship dive, but uh, that's awesome to be able to witness that. Yeah, I love seeing them out here. Um, I love uh, doing Fourth of July weekend out here at your house, and you, you'll you mm -hmm. see the bald eagles and feel very patriotic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, speaking of patriotic, uh, Benjamin Franklin suggested uh, that the, 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 the turkey. wild turkey be the <laughs> national symbol. And sometimes when you watch uh, eagles and you hear other people's stories about eagles, uh, you find out that they're uh, maybe not as patriotic and impressive as, <laughs> as, an, as a symbol and emblem of America yeah. as they are. <laughs> a little bit more of uh, the scavengers and the predators. Yes. but. At least, uh, at least watching them out here on the on the bay. Well, that's cool, Joe. Well, thanks for sharing your insights on the local bald eagles of Chisholm Creek. Well, glad you enjoyed. And glad you invited me. I appreciate <laughs> it. Love hearing from Joe. 
Uh, sorry for some of the jet noises in the background, <laughs> as y'all know from listening to the episodes I record outside here in Hampton Roads. Jet noise is just part of life here, unfortunately. <laughs> A final shout out to the very talented Jessica Coker, who provided this episode's cover art. I love the two bald eagles she depicts flying together. As we'll learn later on, these birds often mate for life, and you can plainly see that bond in her painting. Uh, see all her artwork and photography at Jessica Coker Artist on Instagram. That's Jessica Coker with a C, C O K E R, artist on Instagram. Well, let's dive into talking about this bird. There's a lot of information to cover here, um, all from why it's called bald to its complicated relationship with humans. This episode is going to be a long one, so buckle up, y'all. I'll start with describing the life history of the bald eagle, kind of, you know, the the biology stuff, um, then move on to talking about its relationship with humans, threats to its population, diseases, and wrap up with some good old evolutionary history for you, (laughs) you real bird nerds. You love that stuff. Um, nothing like talking about the fossil record of a sipiter to really liven up your 4th of July barbecue. Yeah, but bust that out while you're uh, eating some burgers and dogs. <laughs> Did you know the first fossil record of the bald eagle turns up in Oregon? <laughs> I don't know where that voice came from. <laughs> um, so I think most people of the world have seen a bald eagle before. If not in person, you know, obviously on the emblem of uh, the United States. Um, it's a large-bodied bird, you know, that classic acipiter eagle body, the, you know, hooked beak, um, very big, um, intense, angry-looking eyes. Um, and uh, when you see them flying, they have those classic uh, eagle hawk wings um, that kind of have like the finger-like projections. Um, also, vultures have these too. Um, you often see them soaring and, and rising air thermals um, mixed in with vultures, maybe mixed in with hawks. They have a white head and a white tail, uh, but the rest of their body is dark, uh, kind of like a, a, a brown, very dark brown, um, sometimes appearing uh, very close to black. Um, but their beak and their talons are a bright yellow, which really stand out um, in their eyes, too. Uh, juveniles don't have that white head and tail. Um, as we'll talk about, they uh, they start off uh, all brown, and um, uh, it can uh, be a little hard to tell them apart from other birds, you know, like hawks, um, uh, when you see them. And sometimes they get mixed up with, like, golden eagles, too. Uh, they have sexual dimorphism, meaning that the females are larger than the males, and they can get up to an eight-foot wingspan. That's <laughs> massive. It takes about four to six years for juveniles to acquire that full adult plumage. And you'll usually see a, a bit of a mixture because the juveniles will go through four distinctive plumage phases before they finally get that full adult plumage, you know, the, the dark brown body but the white head and the white tail. These four distinctive plumage phases are termed juvenile plumage, white belly one, white belly two, adult transition, and adult. And so you'll see all the different variations of these. Um, You'll see like a bunch of flecks of white on them and you can just look up the different ones and then you can you know really be a bald eagle expert and like oh that's a uh, second year juvenile bald eagle right there i know because it's got the white mixed in with the wings why do i keep doing like some weird southern accent (laughs) 
but uh, if if you look it up, you'll you'll see the different um, types of the four phases of plumages, and that's how you can kind of tell how old a juvenile bald eagle is before it finally, around like four, five, six years of age, it hits that full adult plumage. And as long as you can spot that white head and white tail, the adult bald eagle is pretty unmistakable. Uh, but the juveniles are very confusing. Um, famously, Audubon has this Washington's eagle that he writes about, and there's a lot of debate whether it's a, a real bird that went extinct or whether he was just seeing a juvenile bald eagle. Um, not not going to get on that in this show. Maybe I'll, I'll talk about that in a, a future dedicated show about Audubon's lost birds. There's a couple of them. But um, the juveniles are often confused with hawks, vultures, um, and also they look a lot like golden eagles, too. Um, to make matters worse, immature golden eagles can have white on them, similar to the spotty white that's seen on immature bald eagles in their transition plumage. And um, their uh, ranges overlap, too. So it can be pretty difficult if you see kind of a, a dirty, you know, white uh, big eagle, like, uh, is it an immature bald eagle? Is it an immature golden eagle? Um one way to tell them apart is to look at the head and neck. Bald eagles have a big head and long necks that extend out as far as their tails do, while golden eagles have smaller heads and shorter necks, so their tails are longer than their heads. Uh, another trick is to look at the white on them. Golden eagles have well-defined white patches on their wings and a bicolored tail, with white closer to the body and um, a sharp demarcated black stripe at the end of their tail. Immature bald eagles, when they're going through their transition plumage, the, the white is way more splotchy. It's just kind of like all over, little like white spots. Um, so like the golden eagles, it's very defined patches on the on the wings and on the tail. And the immature bald eagles is just kind of splotchy all over. So, so that can help to tell them apart. Uh, you can also look at the feet um, if you're able to get that close of a look. Golden eagles have feathers extending down their legs to their talons, while bald eagles have bare feet. Uh, speaking of their feet, bald eagles have very impressive talons. In the larger females, the longest fourth toe, um, which is backwards facing and similar in function to a thumb, that one has a two inch long talon. That's <laughs> incredibly terrifying. It's just pinching right in. So the scientific name of this bird is Haliatus leucocephalus. The genus Haliatus contains 10 sea eagle species, uh, most of which look a lot like the bald eagle with white heads. The genus name Haliatus uh, literally means sea eagle with halus, meaning salt or sea in ancient Greek, and Iatus meaning eagle. The ancient Greeks, however, likely used this word in reference to the osprey, which is uh, colloquially known as the sea hawk or sea eagle. Um, so it's kind of funny that we use this aetus for, uh, you know, this genus when actually it was referencing ospreys, which aren't too, you know, far off in the evolutionary line, uh, as we'll see later on. The bald eagle's genus name, leucocephalus, means white head in Latin, leuco, white, cephalus, head. So this white head, this brings me to another bald eagle fact. Uh, why the heck is it called bald? You know, I think I remember like Looney Tunes cartoons. They like literally would depict the bald eagle as having a, a bald head. Um, but its head isn't bald, you know, it's covered in those white feathers. The common name bald eagle actually refers back to something called piebaldism. This is a genetic condition where there's an absence of dark color producing cells called melanocytes in certain areas of the skin or hair. 
you may know someone um, or you may be somebody who has just a random area of white um, on your hair, like just a random white spot. Um, that's piebaldism. Um, it's also present in like a, a lot of animal breeds too. It's sometimes like selected for in certain dog breeds having like the piebaldism and that's how you get, uh, you know, a, a black dog that then has like the white spots. Um, the bald eagle, um, with its contrasting white head and it's a uh, mostly dark body, um, looks like it's piebald. Um, it's, it's not actual piebaldism, um, cause piebaldism is kind of like a, a random variation, um, in the genetics. One other note of clarification, um, eagle is not like a strict group of all closely related birds, but rather just kind of an arbitrary title um, assigned to larger birds of prey. And so, you know, when they were first being uh, classified just based on like, you know, their anatomy and, and, and how they looked, um, they kind of got broken up into these groups, uh, you know, these strict like eagles, the harriers, the hawks, the kites. And then, uh, you know, there's like some hawks that are more closely related to eagles and, and, and things like that. Um, but when we get into the uh, evolutionary, we'll kind of kind of break down exactly the relationship with uh, the sea eagles, which is what our bald eagle is in. So anyone who's listened to uh, my show knows that I do make a lot of jokes about bald eagles being America's bird because um, it kind of has a tendency to just overpower um, other animals, takes what it wants by force, um, doing a lot of thievery, and mm, maybe you can uh, do some relations to America in like the you know later part of the 20th, 20th century and 21st century and some of its military conflicts. Uh, Seems a little bit similar to the bald eagle. And I, I'm definitely going to talk about that more in the show. But when you look at the range of the bald eagle, uh, it really is pretty much confined entirely to North America and it covers all of North America. So it is very weirdly like America's bird. Like there, there is, you know, some population in Canada, a little bit in Mexico, but really it's almost entirely within America and within there. It's 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 almost all the way across America. Bald eagles are semi-migratory. Uh, you know, they're mainly pescatarians. They're mainly fish eaters. So they need open water for food. So in the northern latitudes that they live, um, they will have to leave, you know, during the wintertime when lakes and rivers begin to freeze. They don't necessarily head south, um, but they will head towards open water. So like, you know, just because they're like up in a northern area and the lake freezes doesn't mean they're going to just like shoot straight south. They might like go over the coast because they know the, the water's open there. Uh, single eagles, bachelor eagles, are much more mobile than paired eagles. Eagle couples will try to stay near their nesting site um, as long as everything isn't frozen over. The really migratory single eagles are termed floaters uh, because they tend to wander within a geographical area and they take pretty predictable travel routes too. It's really cool when you look at the um, GPS studies where, you know, they put trackers on bald eagles and they watch them. Like each, each of them have like kind of their unique like uh, route that they take, but they will be pretty persistent in it. Um, and uh, there also will be these certain flyways that, that all the eagles tend to take. If these floaters find a mate in a potential nesting site, though, they will settle down. They're pretty mobile birds, both when they're migrating and just like hunting for food in general during the day. Um, they'll go between 75 and 125 miles on, on long days. Uh, but they are capable of flying a lot further, too. They have crossed the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, there's two accounts of juveniles, um, <laughs> exhausted bald eagles popping up in Ireland. 
Once in 1973, uh, a, a bald eagle popped up in Ireland. It was unfortunately shot. Um, it was mistaken for the uh, closely related native to Europe uh, white-tailed eagle and was shot. Um, another time, though, in 1987, a juvenile bald eagle popped up in Ireland and had a much better fate. He was so exhausted by his journey that he couldn't even resist when he was approached. Um, so he was captured and nursed back to health by a professional hawk handler and then eventually flown back home first class aboard a jet. It was kind of like a big deal. It happened like uh, a couple days before Thanksgiving. So like the newspapers had fun, you know, talking about how this bald eagle was returning home for Thanksgiving. Even in the more southerly populations of bald eagles, though, that tend to be non-migratory populations, um, immature eagles will sometimes do their own sort of migration for their first two to three years of life during the fall and winter months and then return to their original nesting grounds in the spring and summer. They're possibly scouting out breeding territories like this uh, before they become fully sexually mature. Um, remember, like I said, it takes them four to six years to fully get their adult plumage and become sexually mature. Their preferred habitat um, is one with water, uh, such as wetlands, rivers, lakes, and seashores. Uh, they also need mature stands of trees for nesting in and for roosting in. As we'll talk about, bald eagles have really big nests and need big, tall, old trees to support them. During the non-breeding season, uh, they're a little bit more flexible with their habitat, um, especially in the more northern areas um, or more inland areas where water may be frozen over. They'll shift to eating more mammals or scavenge for roadkill and may be found far from any water source. Likely historically, buffalo um, dying during the winter made a, you know, a big part of their diet in the Midwest. Um, now that has been replaced by cattle, and so they can a lot of times be, uh, be found you know, very far from water um, in the Midwest um, eating dead cattle during the winter. Um, I found a study talking about the Chesapeake Bay, um, the Chesapeake Bay bald eagles and their like habitat preference. Um, apparently, high-quality habitat for them is defined as having less salinity, high water quality, and less human population density. And a easy way to find them is to look for air thermals. Um, they use these air thermals to help them gain elevation and aid in flying. Um, and, you know, you can just see them flying. Uh, I know in my vulture episode I talked about how it's called a kettle when there's a group of them because they look like bubbles kind of tornadoing up to the surface in a, in a boiling kettle. Um, so you'll see them in those thermals just rising up, 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 high, high, high in the air so that they can get a lot of altitude so they can f travel very far. Um, they've been observed flying up to 10,000 feet. That's, you know, super high, half the uh, height of uh, what, you know, cruising aircraft do. And they easily can travel 50 to 100 miles a day, uh, you know, uh, using those thermals to, to aid them. And uh, they'll do that in search of food, and they can fly up to 30 miles per hour. So let's talk about what and how they eat. Uh, they have a wide variety of hunting strategies, probably why they are such a successful species. They, they are really adaptable. They will occasionally dive down and capture prey um, from the, you know, the water or, uh, as we'll talk about, maybe a mammal, too. And when they do those dives, they can reach speeds of up to 100 miles per hour, which is insane. I mean, a, a, a bird that big going 100 miles an hour. But normally, you know, you see them uh, out hunting for fish. And usually their MO is to kind of just grab the fish from the water with their talons. You know, rarely they'll kind of 
dunk their body a little bit. They do not fully dive into the water um, the way that ospreys do. Um, they they just their feathers will get too waterlogged. You know, they might end up drowning. They they can't do like what ospreys do, where they just dive totally in. So they they do have to um, uh, catch fish a little closer to the surface than ospreys do. Um, you know, as you heard me tell Punchy Joe, um, it's pretty amazing to watch them pluck fish out of the water. They, they, you know, they do it almost casually. They're just like, bing, like one claw, just like grab it right out. Like, you know, it's just like they're picking a berry off a tree or something. <laughs> they, uh, another difference between them and ospreys is when they catch a fish, they just carry it sideways in their talons. Um, you know, like, like they just grip, you know, um, on either side of the fish and, and just carry it like the, you know, the tail's facing one side, the head's the other. Um, unlike ospreys, who always carefully position the fish so that the head's facing forward, so it's, like, very aerodynamic. The the bald eagle, it's bigger, more powerful. You don't have to worry about no fancy aerodynamics. <laughs> Man, I'm really doing that southern voice a lot. <laughs> Maybe I need to, like, uh, bring in some other uh, uh, American accents. Since this is America's bird. I should, I should cover everything. Um... <laughs> Or maybe I'll do Minnesota, I guess. <laughs> you got some eagles on the boundary waters? <laughs> oh god, someone's gonna get angry at me for these for these accents. <laughs> they uh they do require um a lot of food. They require four hundred and fifty to five hundred calories a day. Most of those calories coming from fats and proteins. You know, th- this is a lot. I mean, this is a this is a big bird, but like 500 calories. You know, the, the average human requires 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day. You know, for survival. So, so they're requiring a quarter of what humans are. And I mean, uh, I don't know. I guess they're maybe a quarter the size of us. But uh, I mean, that's just a lot. It just shows you that I mean, they're they're expending some energy to to fly those big bodies off the ground. So, you know, they'll eat whatever fish they're, they're able to catch um, in the Pacific Northwest, Midwest, and Alaska. Spawning salmon are important food sources. Um, eagles will actually track salmon as they spawn and follow this easy food source. Um, you know, especially when the salmon are spawned out and they're just kind of like dying. Like the eagles are like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, <laughs> that's easy food, easy money. Let me eat that before the bears get to it. <laughs> Uh, like I said, they rely on fish that are close to the surface. Not not any fish will do. It has to you know be a, a fish that goes close to the surface. Um, so just because an area is rich in fish doesn't mean that they are right for bald eagles. An example is Yellowstone Lake, where illegally introduced lake trout have resulted in declines in native cutthroat trout. Lake trout stay in deep water, too deep for bald eagles or, or even ospreys actually. Um, and, uh, it's unsurprising that as cutthroat trout numbers have decreased and lake trout numbers have increased, ospreys and bald eagles have decreased reproductive success, uh, in Yellowstone Lake. Ospreys, uh, in Yellowstone Lake, just a side note, they were actually affected much more by this. They had much more of a decrease in their population than the bald eagles did. Uh, cause like I said, bald eagles are a bit versatile. They can uh, diversify their diet, which uh, I'll talk about in just a second. Um, because, uh, some of that diversified diet, it involves other birds. Um, this was actually a new fact for me. Um, I knew that they stole food from other birds. Like, I've seen this. Like, Joe talks about, you know, he, he sees them stealing from ospreys all the time. Um, and I'll go more in detail on this. Like, it's a tone section. But um, uh, I didn't know they hunted other birds, too. And, in fact... Um, Behind fish, uh, birds, especially waterfowl, make up most of their diet. 
So waterfowl like coots, ducks, and scoters are the ones that are usually on the menu. Uh, when bald eagles are hunting birds, uh, they'll sometimes hunt cooperatively. There's a lot of accounts of a couple of them, like three or four, ganging up and uh, chasing after a duck until, you know, it's exhausted and one of them's able to catch it. In Alachua County in Florida in 1998, three bald eagles were observed chasing a ring-billed gull together, um, ultimately resulting in one of the eagles catching it. They've also been observed hunting Canada geese, <laughs> which, uh, you know, that, that's a pretty big bird. Like, Canada geese are nearly the size of the bald eagle, um, and, and they're pretty mean, too. But Canada geese have also been observed attacking bald eagles that get too close to their chicks. So it's, you know, it's a bit more of an even fight there. Uh, they have also been observed routinely preying on cattle egrets and white ibises in Florida, Um Cattle egrets, they're technically an invasive species. I talk about that in my uh, avian invaders episode uh, about Florida introduced birds. Um, it's kind of cool. They're not actually introduced by humans. They, they kind of made their own way over here. And just because we have cattle over here, they were able to, to establish themselves. But um, So I guess it's fine. Bald eagles, go ahead and eat those cattle egrets. But uh, leave the ibises alone. Come on, I like them. <laughs> On the Platte River in Nebraska, they've attacked migrating sandhill cranes and eaten them, which is nuts. Sandhill cranes can be as tall as four feet. And, uh, you know, their beak is, like, super long and sharp. And uh, in these fights, like, the sandhill cranes will, like, try to skewer the bald eagles with their beak. But, I mean, come on, you're, you're fighting against two-inch talons here. It's, it's not very fair. They uh, will also go after mammalian prey, too. Um, sea otters, rabbits, prairie dogs are all on the menu. Squirrels are apparently very popular menu items. I mean, everything eats a squirrel, right, if it can catch it. Um, uh, really, any small mammal is potentially on the menu. Um, there's even reports of them hunting prey as formidable as foxes and raccoons. Like, man, they're, they're going after the ones with teeth, too. And they will even kill prey as large as deer fawns. These fawns, uh, you know, granted, they were only several days old when captured, um, and uh, it's fawns of both the white-tailed deer and mule deer that have been observed being preyed upon. Um, it's just so crazy to imagine a bald eagle carrying a fucking deer in its talons. Like, that would just blow my mind. Um, I actually read a pretty brutal study from 2009 on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, where a three-day-old female fawn weighing at six pounds was captured um, after it had been radio collared as, as part of a predator-prey study. This is, you know, how they, they knew it had been taken by a bald eagle. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they captured it, they put the radio collar on it, and then uh, approximately 27 hours later, they got a mortality pulse signal from the collar um, that showed that the fawn had been still for several hours. Uh, sure enough, you know, they followed the GPS tracking and they located the collar in a bald eagle nest with two bald eagle nestlings eagerly feeding on the carcass. And bald eagles, they're big scavengers too. As I mentioned earlier, you know, with them eating, uh, you know, in the Midwest uh, cattle, uh, especially during the winter time. Um, really in the winter, you know, there's the fish are less active, uh, the water may be frozen over. So in the winter, um, carrion becomes a, a very important um, source of food for them. Uh, juveniles especially will scavenge a lot of carcasses. Um, they're not skilled at catching fish yet. So the adults, you know, they'll, they'll kind of, the adults will rely mostly on fish for their diet, but juveniles especially have to be a little bit more diversified, either stealing more of their food or scavenging carcasses or, you know, reaching out into those other food sources, whether it's uh, mammals or birds.
And then uh, bald eagles, they do eat trash, Um, especially in Alaska. The bald eagles up there have been habituated to feeding at garbage dumps and are so plentiful and nonplussed by humans that they are viewed similarly to seagulls. I've I've heard from people in Alaska before that like bald eagles have just like lost all charm for them because they're just everywhere. A lot of times they're like kind of dirty and smelly from the trash that they've been feeding in, so they're just like, oh no, you're you're not even <laughs> you're not cool anymore. You're the same as a, a seagull trying to, you know, steal my French fries at a picnic or something. <laughs> So this seems like a good segue into talking about the uh, less glamorous side of bald eagles. Um, Bald eagles are sometimes called thugs of the bird world. Uh, I've seen them referred to as pirates, bullies. Uh, (laughs) There's a lot of reasons for this. Um, One is they literally will form gangs. You know, I just talked about earlier, especially when they're hunting other bird species, they will group up. they also do this a lot if they're stealing prey from from other animals. Then they'll uh, they'll group up together to to you know shake shake an osprey down and steal its fish. It's not just ospreys they steal from. Or those that's a pretty prominent one because ospreys are catching fish and Baldy goes like, hmm, I like fish. <laughs> Let me steal it. Um, but also peregrine falcons, crows, gulls. A lot of times gulls they'll they'll chase after gulls and 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 you know steal their food all the time. They also do a bit of uh, infighting, too, and steal food from each other. Uh, I read an article titled Aerial Piracy by Bald Eagles. Aerial Piracy. I love that. Like, I picture, um, you know, pirates with, like, balloon ships or something. <laughs> um, so this study, they observed bald eagles at Glacier National Park, um, and they were stealing kokanee salmon from each other. Usually there's one primary aggressor that attempts to seal the salmon from another bald eagle, but then there's a whole host of up to seven follower bald eagles that attempt to capitalize on the dropped fish. The more followers, the more likely a pursued eagle was to drop his fish. Uh, Individuals appear to have different temperaments. Um, In the study, they found that... uh, Some eagles never were the aggressor. They were only the followers. And that, you know, the aggressors, they tended to be, like, just these more bold personalities that were aggressive. And then the followers are like, hmm, I'll tag along, you know. Um, Interesting, too, they found, like, the same success rate for uh, pursuers and uh, followers. Because obviously, like, you know, you're chasing a bald eagle. It drops its fish. Um, you know, it's anyone's fish at that point. And so these followers sometimes are able to just swoop down and, and grab it uh, before the aggressor. It's pretty much like a, a 50-50 chance. So, you know, they, they don't even have to fight or nothing, and, and they still get, like, all the gains uh, from it. They uh, they definitely pick their battles. Uh, they don't fight with predatory mammals um, for prey at all. Uh, they'll back down if they're challenged by a coyote over a carcass, you know, anything bigger than a coyote. They're like, nah, nah, not worth it. <laughs> and uh, sometimes they'll actually get in fatal clashes with hawks ospreys and owls as they battle for food usually the bald eagle is the one winning (laughs) these battles i i honestly didn't find any uh accounts of hawks ospreys or owls killing them but i'm sure it happens and if a bald eagle you know is fighting with another bird over food and then it kills that other bird over the food it's like oh double the meal and it'll it'll then start eating the body of the bird it killed too um, nesting colonies are big targets for them. I mean, you know, nesting colonies are just, it's easy pickings. And, uh, bald eagles have been documented preying on, uh, nesting colonies of seabirds so heavily that they cause them to fail, uh, such as the ironically termed 
Protection Island off the coast of Washington State. It was uh, not protected from bald eagles, though, because the bald eagles there caused a colony of pelagic and double-crested cormorants to be completely extirpated. And in the Pacific Northwest, bald eagles are actually causing an environmental conservationist nightmare. Um... This it's it's really ironic. The bald eagles, you know, once on the brink of extinction, uh, now they've recovered. <laughs> now they're commonplace. Um, they've started raiding the breeding grounds of endangered birds like mirrors, storm petrels, and shearwaters. These birds all nest in breeding tunnels, and bald eagles will come to their breeding colonies at night, like a gang of home invaders, and literally dig the whole family of birds out of their nesting holes and devour them. This should, this just sounds terrifying. Like, it's nighttime, you're sleeping with your chicks in your burrow, and then a bald eagle gang just shows up outside of your tunnel, digs you out, and just eats your whole family alive. Like, <laughs> I can see why they get the uh, the thug reputation here. Uh, there is a good side to this behavior, though. Um, bald eagles serve as population control for other bird species. Double-crested cormorants um, also experienced huge population rebounds after DDT was banned. Um, you know, we'll, we'll dive into DDT a little bit later. Um, and in some places, their populations are so large that they have to be culled in order to reduce conflicts with human uses. Um, I, I think I've talked on the show before... Um, how cormorants can literally, like, shit so much on a tree that they can kill it. Um, so, you know, them shitting all over people's, like, boats and docks and stuff like that, like, they, they cause a, a lot of damage. Um, actually, in Voyagers National Park in Minnesota, um, cormorant populations were found to be declining rather than increasing, and this was thought due to predation from bald eagles. 17% of radio-tagged cormorants in the park were killed by bald eagles, and 40% of bald eagle nests examined contained cormorant bones and feathers. Uh, they also have indirect effects to not just, like, you know, directly eating the cormorants. They'll also scare cormorants off their nests, which leaves the eggs and chicks vulnerable to gulls and crows. So, you know, they they do serve as, you know, part of nature's balance, the bald eagles do. Like like I said, they'll, they'll eat, you know goose chicks and stuff and, and battle with Canada geese like Canada geese are everywhere and there's not much that eats them coyote foxes I think they're the only only two so it, you know they they really serve a very vital apex predator role um, and, you know, while they're stealing for birds, a lot of times the birds can compensate for this. A study in British Columbia found that peregrine falcons increased the number of dunlin they hunted in order to compensate for prey lost to thieving bald eagles. So this also is kind of a, a um, population control thing. So, like, you know, uh, the dunlin, you know, they have very good population numbers. And uh, the bald eagles aren't directly killing the dunlin. They're just stealing the dunlin from the peregrine falcons. But then that causes the peregrine falcons to kill even more Dunland to, you know, make up for the, the ones that are getting stolen, further kind of putting more population control um, um, on the Dunlands, an indirect effect from the bald eagles. So you can just imagine all these relationships going on in nature um, with the bald eagle, like how just like a, it trickles down to uh, throughout the food web. Uh, one last thing kind of supporting them as the, uh, 
you know, the thugs, the bullies uh, <laughs> of the bird world, is when you break down their activity levels, they're actually really, really lazy. <laughs> they spend 68% of the day roosting. So that's just like chilling, preening your feathers, you know, hanging out. Another 30% of their time is termed as loafing. And so I think that's like literally they're not doing anything. Like they're maybe taking a nap or something like that. Only 1% of time is spent flying and 1% feeding. Um, that sounds like a pretty good life. You know, I want that work-life balance. 98% of the time, loafing. 2%, you know, flying and feeding. <laughs> um, I don't know how true this is, though. I, I, I saw that 1% flying, and I was like, uh, I mean, you know, I've watched them. They, they're just riding those thermal air currents for, like, really long amount of time. So I don't know if that flying was, like, active flapping and, like, you know, if they're flying and just holding their wings still, then they counted it towards, like, loafing in this in this study. Um, but uh, but whatever. Still, like, uh, they're, they're a bit on the lazy side. All right, so let's talk about their breeding. Um, bald eagles in different areas breed a bit differently um, with their timing of egg laying and how long their young stick around. It all depends on the weather conditions and food availability where they are. Uh, they do often form lifelong bonds, so so they are thought as like a monogamous bird. Um, I didn't find exact numbers on like divorce rates in them and extra pair paternity, but in general, they tend to, to find a mate, stick with it. And they built their nests in large, mature trees. Um, they usually nest just below the crown of the tree, often placing their nest in the central fork of the tree. Um, and a pair will often return to the same nest and continue building onto that nest year after year. So really, they make these massive, massive nests. Uh, one nest in Florida was found to be 22 feet deep. That's insane. That's so huge. Yeah, your, your babies aren't falling out of that nest. Uh, they're very territory about their nest, too. I don't know if any of y'all have ever gotten close to a uh, bald eagle nest. They uh, they get very vocal, and they will actually swoop at you, too. Um, me and my wife, uh, my buddy little Chris, Casey and Laney, I, I don't think any of them listen to the show. But anyway, we were out in a spotted bear wilderness in Montana, which is just outside Glacier National Park, um, near the town I was married in, Hungry Horse. <laughs> um and uh, it, it's a great place. Make your way to Spotted Bear Wilderness if y'all can. It's 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 very rugged out there. It's amazing. Um, anyway, so we were um, staying in this little you know uh, tent campground and uh, right by a, a river, and uh, we're kind of walking around, and all of a sudden we hear a uh, bald eagle start to call. I'm like, oh cool, and. I didn't realize we're like right by its nest. You know, I look up and I see the nest right there. And sure enough, this bald eagle just swoops down at us. And I, I'm telling you, like, I, you know, me and my wife both ducked and like we could hear it fly like right over our heads, like talons out. Like that thing was like not fucking around. <laughs> and, and we and we got out of there. We turned we turned tail. I wasn't about to mess with the bald eagle. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it was scary. It was scary. So, uh, yeah, don't mess with bald eagle nests, people. Um, in more southern areas like Florida, um, bald eagles will start making their nests in uh, September. In the more northern areas, uh, it might be as late as May. They lay two to three brown spotted eggs. Um, two is really kind of the, the magic number with their young. Uh, you, you very rarely see more than that three or four is, is much rarer. Um, both parents take turns incubating the eggs, and both parents actually have a brood patch. Uh, brood patch is like a bare area um, on the tummy of the birds that they, uh, you know, can do direct uh, skin-to-eggshell contact to transfer heat. Um, it's it's 
sort of rare for males to also have the brood patch. And when they do, it shows that, you know, really the parents do equally split the, the duties of, um, of incubating and taking care of the eggs. They will turn and roll eggs to improve aeration, um, to make more equal heat distribution, and also prevent the delicate blood vessels of the embryo from sticking to the shell. It takes about 34 to 36 days for the eggs to hatch. Nestling bald eagles are termed eaglets. <laughs> I love that. Eaglet. Uh, the nestlings are very inefficient at feeding themselves, um, especially early on when they are small. Um, mom will often stay on the nest and painstakingly feed them small scraps of meat while dad does the majority of the hunting. There's lots of competition between the siblings. Um, they're constantly fighting over food, and these fights may result in one being pushed out of the nest or killed by injuries. After 75 to 90 days, the young finally fledge. So it's a really long time that they're on the nest. I mean, you know, these are really big birds, so it takes a while to reach maturity. But, I mean, that's insane. Like three months, they're up there, you know, relying on mommy and daddy bringing them food. And even once they leave the nest, uh, there's still a long post-fledgling dependence period, usually around 6 to 11 weeks, that they're still hanging around mom and dad and depending on them to, to bring them a lot of food and start to teach them the ropes of hunting. Like a lot of birds, mortality is, is particularly high during the fledgling period. Um, I saw a study that cited it as high as 50 to 70%. That's, that's very, very high. Um, I, I think that was definitely like a high estimate there. And as I mentioned earlier, they don't reach sexual maturity until as late as six years old and never before four years old. So it, it takes them a while. They usually return to the general place where they were born to, to breed again, um, sort of within a 100-mile radius of it from, from what I was reading. Uh, remember in the beginning, though, I did talk about, you know, the, the wanderers, um, you know, that'll... The young ones will, will sort of wander around, and <laughs> so are their wild oats. Well, not really, because they can't breed, but maybe look for a, a good breeding ground. Um, as we're talking about in a second here, the, the good breeding territory for bald eagles is starting to dry up, so they're having to probably search more and more. Um, in wintertime and also during inclement weather, bald eagles will roost together in groups, uh, sometimes as many as 100 together at roosting sites uh, that are reused year after year. These roosting sites help them stay warm and safe, um, typically, they're in mature tree stands that offer protection from predominantly westerly and northerly winds. Um, I also read something about their feathers, that uh, their feathers provide them more insulation when wet than dry. Uh, but I could not find any explanation for, like, the physiology behind this. It, it sounded sort of suspicious to me. I'm like, hmm, like, how do they cause more insulation when they're wet than when they're dry? They, they didn't sound right. Uh, all I could find, like, pointing back to this is this 1987 book called The Bald Eagle by this guy named Stallmaster. Um, I didn't purchase the book, so if anyone out there listening knows, has this book or knows more details on it, like, please let me know. Um, speaking of roosting bald eagles, um, what is a group of bald eagles called? So normally it's called a convocation of bald eagles. Um, although I also found sore, airy, and spread of bald eagles to, like, reference a, a group of bald eagles. Convocation sounds pretty good. That's pretty noble. Better than a gang of bald eagles. 
So their vocalizations, as I played at the beginning of the show, you know, they, they're a bird with a very large, powerful image, um, but a surprisingly weak call. <laughs> In the movies, even, like, you'll see when there's a bald eagle, they'll often use the sound of a red-tailed hawk um, instead of the bald eagle call just because it sounds cooler. The bald eagle's call, however, is a more liquid call. Um, sort of sounds like a creaky gate to me. Uh, a call you may mix it up with is that of the osprey, but the osprey has a lot more single note calls um, and a slower tempo. Here's an osprey. And here's a bald eagle. They'll also give like a different variation of that call um, that does sound a bit more majestic and powerful. So that wraps up kind of like the biology of bald eagles. I mean, there's, you know, there's so much out there. There's a lot of cool bald eagle facts. Um, uh, I'm sure I missed, you know, let me know if I missed your favorite bald eagle fact. Um, but there's just so much uh, to talk about here. I, you know, uh, I don't want to turn this into a three hour episode. <laughs> We're probably going on an hour and a half, maybe, maybe even two hours. We'll see. Um, but now I want to kind of go into you know, the relationship with humans of the bald eagle, like how it became America's bird, some Native American legends about it, um, population threats, like like all those kinds of things. So let's uh, take a step away from the biology side and, you know, let, let's talk about the human side. <laughs> so how it became America's bird. Um, you know, eagles are large predatory birds that can be found all over the world. Um, and they've been used as symbols for nations um, dating back to ancient times. You know, the, the Romans uh, especially like to use uh, like eagles um, in their, in their uh, military imagery. Um, but the origins of the bald eagle being tied with America actually start with Massachusetts. Um, in 1776, Massachusetts included a bald eagle on their copper cent piece. Coinciding with the Declaration of Independence, um, which was adopted on July 4th, but not signed until August, actually, um, various committees formed in the Continental Congress. One of these was to design a national emblem called the Great Seal for the country and comprised of Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and John Adams, a very you know powerful trifecta there. Um, surprisingly, um, if you know anything about Thomas Jefferson and his weird inventions at Monticello, um, his original design proved to be so complicated that it was immediately tabled by the Congress. Another Great Seal Committee didn't meet until 1780 with another table design, and then a third in 1782. While this third meeting also resulted in a table design, it was the first to feature a bald eagle holding the classic arrows and olive branch. After a couple tweaks of that design, the bald eagle became the centerpiece of the Seal of the United States. As Punchy Joe said in the opening of the show, Benjamin Franklin wasn't happy about this and uh, wrote to his daughter, I wish the bald eagle had not been chosen as the representative of our country. He is a bird of bad moral character, like those among men who live by sharping and robbing. He is generally poor and often very lousy. The turkey is a much more respectable bird, and withal a true original native of America. 
So I don't know what he means by this original native part to America. Um, I think that he's like referencing that there are like eagles in other parts of the world. Maybe he's like mixing it up with the white-tailed eagle, which is in Europe. Um, so I don't know what he means by that, but he, he does have a point with it being a bit of a uh, lousy bird and, and the robbing part too. A sort of surprising fact about um, the American public's relationship with bald eagles is they were actually reviled for much of America's history. Farmers saw them as a threat to their livestock and routinely shot and trapped them. Some states even offered bounties for bald eagles. Uh, I saw that in Alaska in the early 1900s. Hunters got $2, roughly equivalent to $50 today, for each bald eagle they killed. So even though it was featured on the seal of the United States, like people just hated the bald eagle. Um, and it was being killed left and right. In 1900s, the Lacey Act was one of the first laws to kind of help curb this. Um, I've talked about this uh, in my Spoonbill episode before. It prohibited interstate trade in birds um, and was targeted at people hunting birds for their feathers to be put in hats, which was the high fashion of the time. Um, learn about all the plume wars in my Spoonbill episode. It's, it's pretty crazy, uh, you know, people killing each other over bird feathers, but... Um, the bald eagle, with its nice white tail feathers, was certainly on the poacher's hunting list. The Migratory Bird Treaty Act of 1918 also helped curb shooting of bald eagles. And then really the big one is the Bald and Golden Eagle Protection Act of 1940. This implemented a fine of $100,000 and or imprisonment for a year for collecting any part of bald or golden eagles or disturbing them. Uh, this disturb thing is like really a, a kind of big deal because uh, disturb means anything that interferes with feeding, breeding, or sheltering. So pretty much anything, you know not it's not just killing the bald eagle like if you do make it fly off its nest like that's disturbing it and that's you know can get you a hundred thousand dollar fine uh i've talked about ddt a million times on the show before um so i won't reinvent the wheel but um you know in the 1940s uh ddt uh caused huge population crashes in many bird species particularly large predatory birds uh near the top of the trophic food chain because you know they would eat a lot of animals containing DDT and, and kind of accrue large amounts of it that way. Uh, DDT was a pesticide that was used to control mosquitoes, um, but it caused such severe eggshell thinning that eggs would break just from the parents trying to incubate them. A survey conducted in 1963 found only 700 breeding pairs of bald eagles in the lower 48 of the U.S. So even, like, these laws kind of came a little too late with, you know, stopping the, the hunting and shooting of, of bald eagles because then, you know, like, their population had been reduced, but really, like, the, the big nearly nail in the coffin was DDT. Um, 700 bald eagle breeding pairs, that's such a small number. They came so close to extinction. Luckily, DDT was banned in 1974, and bald eagle populations began to recover. There were also a lot of efforts made to replenish bald eagles through raising in captivity and releasing into the wild. I read about one cool technique done called hacking. Um, you know, at first I saw this hacking bald eagles. I was like, ooh, are they like, uh, I don't know, like, uh, you know, hacking into the mainframe of polluting companies and making them like dump a bunch of DDT on the, you know, CEO's front yard or something. Um, no, hacking actually, uh, it involves wildlife rehabilitators taking a fledgling bald eagle and placing them in a simulated nest on a tower that's surrounded by a cage to keep the fledglings from, you know, falling out or getting eaten. And basically like, you know, they'll go up and they'll, they'll bring them food too. 
Um, once the fledglings can fly, the cage is removed. Um, they continue to be fed until they fully hone their hunting skills, and then they're left alone. The idea here is the fledgling will later return to this nest to breed and help propagate the species. Lots of governmental agencies did really good work with this, such as the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Army Corps of Engineers. The Endangered Species Act of 1973 also helped put more legal protections in place for uh, species, uh, including the bald eagle as an endangered species. But like I said, bald eagles, you know, really recovered very well um, with the banning of DDT and with these uh, active efforts made to repopulate them. And actually, in June of 2007, they were removed from the endangered species list. They are still protected, though, under the Bald Eagle Protection Act, the Lacey Act, and the Migratory Bird Treaty Act. The Fish and Wildlife Service actually still mandates buffer zones for development around bald eagle nests. This doesn't apply when human development has already been done, and then bald eagles decide to, you know, nest right nearby. Uh, but, you know, if people are trying to do construction, that kind of thing, uh, it does apply. One of the bad outcomes of there being a big rebound in bald eagle populations is bald eagle strikes with airplanes have increased. There have been 84 strikes between 1990 and 2006. In 2016, actually, four people died at Birchwood Airport in Alaska after a juvenile bald eagle struck their plane and caused a crash. Most aircraft strikes appear to occur with inexperienced juvenile birds. Um, they don't know how to avoid planes, and they also aren't as coordinated to, like, you know, get out of the way. I read a study conducted on tagged juvenile bald eagles in the Chesapeake Bay that found juveniles were most at risk to be around airfields and crash with airplanes right when they were returning from winter wanderings in March and April. So, March and April, maybe not the best time to fly. You might, uh, <laughs> might hit a juvenile bald eagle. There's actually like a whole industry around scaring bald eagles and hawks that, you know, other birds, Canada geese, um, away from airports. Um, poultry farms also use this too. It's called hazing. Um, you'll haze bald eagles to, to get them away. Um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service allows hazing of eagles as long as it doesn't disturb them, meaning, you know, interfering with their breeding and survival. Um, there's also like permits you can apply to to the U.S. Uh, Fish and Wildlife uh, Service. Um, hazing techniques may be as simple as just walking towards eagles to scare them away with the human presence. Um, other techniques also used are like shooting off guns with loud shells called screamers. Um, it's kind of cool reading people's uh, accounts who whose job this is, um, particularly in Alaska, where, like I said, bald eagles are... <laughs> pretty much seagulls. Um, they do have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the birds. You know, it's their job to keep them away. So, you know, they have a lot of respect for them, but also they're, they're a bit annoyed by them. Funnily enough, though, airports will also use kites shaped like bald eagles or models of bald eagles to try to scare away other birds from the airport. Um, they'll even use drones that they outfit to look like bald eagles. So um, they kind of they kind of like the bald eagle presence because it scares away other birds, but they also don't want the bald eagles to be hitting their planes too. The Fish and Wildlife Service does offer some like landscaping techniques um, to make areas less desirable for eagles and you know also recommends removing potential food sources to try not to attract them. The Fish and Wildlife Service does allow you to apply for eagle depredation permits um, that allow you to disturb eagles um, when you haze them. Um, which means bothering them like close to a nest site, um, also allows you to trap them, not to kill them, but that is where a lot of research is going into right now. Um, 
a lot of articles I was reading were focusing on uh, like the more recent ones, you know, coming out 2021, 2022, 2023 are like a lot of them are talking about potentially culling or relocating um, bald eagles and trying to predict like what's a, uh, you know, good number um, to to allow uh, to be killed each year to still keep the population steady. Um, there is a bit of like guarded language and tiptoeing, you know, around the topic in these articles because, you know, there's there's a lot of public love for the, the bald eagle. You know, once you start shooting a bald eagle, it's like you're shooting America right in the face. Um, so they uh, most of them tend to, you know, use very mild language um, with it and, and not give very strong recommendations. But I did read an article from 2022 out of William and Mary. Um, it very strongly argued um, for removing a lot of the protections of bald eagles. Um, it even pronounced that bald eagles have completely recovered in the Chesapeake Bay. I don't really buy this. I'll talk about their population in a moment. Um, as we'll see, they'll likely never recover to their historical populations. Um, the article did make one good point, though, um, that I liked was that the uh, American public and the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, you know, they have a big focus on bald, bald eagle preservation. You know, it's a very iconic bird and people can get behind, you know, preserving it. And But that focus on it may be at the expense of preserving other species. Like, you know, imagine if the cockaded woodpecker was revered by the public as much as the bald eagle was. Um, we wouldn't be cutting down a single more tree in its territory, um, and it might be saved from extinction. But, uh, you know, cockaded woodpecker, it's not as iconic, I guess, as the bald eagle. So I think this article did make a good point that, hey, we're focusing too much resource on the on the bald eagle. Let's focus on, you know, uh, populations of birds that are in more dire threat of extinction. Uh, the farming industry does come into conflict with bald eagles. There have been some reports of bald eagles hunting sheep. Um, only a few of these cases are actually confirmed. Um, it's it's pretty rare. Uh, the larger golden eagle, that's that's a different story. Um, it's much more likely to hunt sheep. Um, and if I ever do an episode on the golden eagle, I will definitely cover that in detail. They, they do some crazy things like driving them off of cliffs and stuff like that. Um, I did find one super crazy account where a bald eagle killed a pregnant sheep, uh, you know, which is called a, a ewe, um, that weighed 130 pounds. <laughs> bald eagles are big birds, but I mean, they only weigh about 15 pounds max. So this is a, an animal that's 115 pounds heavier than it is, a pregnant sheep, and this bald eagle killed it. That's nuts. <laughs> And terrifying. Like, there's a lot of people that are, you know, 130 pounds or less. And, uh, oh, God, I mean, maybe a bald eagle's going to come for them. <laughs> Just don't get too close to its nest. Bald eagles are especially disliked by free-range chicken farmers. Um, there's actually a pretty uh, famous court case about this. In 2018, a Georgia poultry farmer won $2.2 million uh, in a lawsuit seeking restitution for his estimation of 160,000 chickens taken by bald eagles. <laughs> That's a lot of chickens. But, I mean, uh, honestly, I could see bald eagles doing it, like... They know there's an easy food source. They're just perched up and just zoop, zoop, swooping down, getting them a chicken. <laughs> chicken dinner. Winner, winner. Dairy farmers, though, uh, appear to actually like bald eagles, um, at least in the Pacific Northwest. 
Um, their dairy farmers um, who were interviewed in a 2022 study um, liked bald eagles because they helped get rid of calf carcasses and afterbirth. They also scared away starlings that eat food stores and Canada geese that, you know, just shit everywhere and contaminate crops. Um, so bald eagles are actually liked on dairy farms. Um, there's been a couple famous, like, individual bald eagles um, in, in history. The most famous one I could find was called Old Abe. Um, he's especially important to in U.S. Army history. Um, he's got a pretty remarkable story. So in 1861, a Native American named Chief Sky chopped down a tree in order to capture two young bald eagle nestlings, eaglets. Um, he later traded one of these eagles to a man from Eagle Point, Wisconsin, named Daniel McCann. McCann kept it as a pet, but as the eagle grew bigger, so did its appetite, and it was quickly eating him out of house and home. So he took advantage of the Union troops marching through town and sold the bird to a captain of a militia company. Uh, this man was named Captain John E. Perkins, and he sold it for $2.50. This unit was originally called the Eau Claire Badgers, um, but once they got that eagle, they renamed themselves the Eau Claire Eagles. This unit would later become the 8th Wisconsin Volunteer Infantry Unit when they joined the Federal Service, and their mascot came with them. It was dubbed Old Abe after Abraham Lincoln, and they made a special perch for it atop a shield carried on a pole. Uh, you can actually see pictures of this if you Google it. <laughs> really, like, I mean, the eagle almost looks like a statue. It's just so, like, noble and still on top of this, uh, on top of this shield. I, I guess it just really liked its life, um, hanging out with these soldiers and, you know, getting fed and stuff. Um, so Old Abe actually joined the 8th on all of their battlefield engagements um, in the Western Theater of the Civil War, um, helping boost the morale of the men. Even enemy commanders recognized Old Abe's significance, and when Confederate General Sterling Price spotted the bird at the Battle of Corneth, Mississippi, he said, That bird must be captured or killed at all hazards. I would rather get that eagle than capture a whole brigade or a dozen battle flags. Alright, finally, my, my southern <laughs> accent comes into use in this episode. <laughs> um, it's really remarkable old Abe survived all these battles because he was in the middle of some really thick fighting. Um, he was even uh, there during a full frontal assault done by the 8th at the bloody siege of Vicksburg. I mean, this was a, a terrible, terrible battle, and uh, he came through it okay. When the 8th Military Service ended in 1864, Old Abe was presented to the governor of Wisconsin. Um, Old Abe then took a career in philanthropy and was used to help raise money for veterans' charities. He frequently went on nationwide tours and was cheered by large crowds. When not on tour, he lived in the aviary in the Wisconsin Capitol building. And it was there in 1881 a fire broke out in the Capitol, and while Old Abe survived the flames, the smoke he inhaled caused him to grow sick and die a month later. Old Abe was taxidermied and was displayed in a Veterans Memorial Hall built in the Capitol. In 1904, yet another fire broke out in the Capitol. Jesus, this Wisconsin Capitol just keeps catching on fire. This time, Old Abe didn't escape the flames. Um, only a few feathers from him remained and are still stored in a Veterans Museum in Madison, Wisconsin. But Old Abe still lives on through the shoulder patch of the 101st Airborne Division. So that's a really cool story about a, a very famous bald eagle in the in the Civil War. I, I love that. Old Abe just, you know, hanging around. I mean, I can't imagine, like, how did he not fly away when, you know, he heard the, the gunfire? Um, he must have had nerves of steel. That's so cool. 
Um, so bald eagles are, are very important to the, uh, you know, us as, uh, Americans, but also to, uh, the native Americans too. And, uh, I just kind of want to start off talking about the native American relationship with eagles by telling a legend of the Delaware people. There was a young Native American warrior who wanted to prove himself by gathering enough bald eagle feathers to make himself a great headdress. He wasn't just satisfied to collect the feathers, he wanted to pluck the feathers from a live eagle itself, proving he was brave and of great courage and ensuring good fortune would always follow him. He killed a large wolf and took its meat to a high cliff, for eagles are very fond of wolf meat. Then he hid behind a tree with a forked stick to try and capture an eagle. Soon enough, an eagle landed and began to feast on the meat. But it was on the smaller side, and the young warrior was not satisfied with its feathers, so drove it away. Another eagle soon landed, but it seemed disheveled and unkempt, and so it too was driven away. All at once, the warrior heard a thunderous sound of flapping, and before him landed an eagle larger than a man. The giant eagle picked up the young warrior and carried him away to a high cliff, plopping him down into a huge eagle nest containing four young eaglets. The large eagle spoke to the young man, saying, You shall stay here and care for my young until they are large enough to carry you back. I am the head chief of the eagles. Your greed and ambition have brought you this. You are not satisfied with the plumage of the birds I sent you, and now you shall suffer for your greed. There was nothing else for the young warrior to do but stay and guard the young eagles, for the nest was high up on a cliff and there was no way down. And so many days passed, with the young warrior caring for the young eagles and the old eagle occasionally bringing him deer, rabbit, or other game. The young eagles grew and grew, and one day they all took off from the nest. The old eagle came to him and said, Now, my young friend, my grandchildren here shall carry you back to where I found you. Two eagles seized the warrior in their talons and flew him into the air, taking him back to the original cliff where he had placed the wolf meat. Placing him safely down, they then flew off into the distance. The young warrior looked around and couldn't help but notice several bald eagle feathers lying amongst the rocks. This time he was glad to pick them up without trying to pluck them off a live eagle and returned with them to his people. So I really like this story. The the reason I picked it is because um, amongst the different cultures of of Native Americans, there were a lot of different cultural practices around bald eagles. Um, We'll see here, you know, it's mentioned about picking up the eagles off uh, the the feathers off the ground and then also um, plucking, you know, the the feathers off a live eagle so that's like something um that happened with tribes so some tribes you know you were only allowed to pick feathers up off the ground some you weren't allowed to pick them off the ground you had to to capture the live eagle itself pick some feathers off of it and then uh let it go and uh, i found that this was uh, especially among the plains tribes who would like use nets to capture the live eagles pluck some feathers and then and then let them go um and some Southeastern tribes like the Cherokee, um, they had a special like class of, of, of people um, known as eagle killers um, that were allowed to kill eagles. Um, and, you know, sometimes they could only, you know, kill an eagle during a very specific time of the year. So there's a, amongst different tribes, there's a lot, a lot of different 
stories, a lot of different cultural practices with eagles. Um, luckily, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, you know, recognize this these rights of the tribes um, for uh, you know eagles in their in their histories and their rituals. Um, so they do have a repository that collects dead eagles from zoos, states, and federal agencies um, and other organizations, and then they will provide eagle parts to federally recognized tribes. The uh, demand for eagle parts appears to actually be pretty high, um, and tribes often have to apply for permits and then go on waiting lists in order to get more eagle parts. Native Americans are allowed to pass down eagle parts as heirlooms, but they cannot receive any money for them, and they're only allowed to give them to other Native Americans. So, you know, when you see Native Americans and they have, you know, eagle parts as part of like a, a a headdress or um, claws also feature, I think, in a lot of Plains tribes, um, too, as, like, accessories to clothing. It's like, that's a really big deal, um, both, you know, from a legal standpoint and also from the, uh, the Native American cultural standpoint. So let's talk about the population of bald eagles. So remember, you know, back 1960s, 1970s with DDT, it was down to 700 breeding pairs of bald eagles in the lower 48. Um, their populations began to recover, um, and, you know, people were trying to figure out how, how many bald eagles are there going to be? Like, how are they doing? Um, I saw a study, it modeled, uh, the population growth. Um, it was done by these people, um, Calises and Buchanan in 2016. Um, they predicted that the bald eagle population would continue to grow for about 10 to 20 years before leveling off at around 228,000 birds. However, a 2020 population estimate came up with a whopping 316,700 birds. That's a lot of bald eagles. Um, and they seem to be, you know, going up in some places. Um, there's an estimated 9,000 in the Chesapeake Bay from a 2007 study, and this population seems to, to still be going up. They uh, need a minimum of 45% nest success um, in order to have a stable population. So if they're in an area where they're falling below this nest success rate, the population will decline, kind of like Yellowstone Lake that I mentioned earlier. And while these populations are, you know, <laughs> much better than 700, um, they're still likely way below um, where they were in pre-European settlement. Um, Back before European settlement, it's predicted that there were about half a million um, bald eagles. And actually, with the population boom of bald eagles, it's led to a lot of bachelor and bachelorette bald eagles. Um, remember, bald eagles need stands of mature trees near a water source to breed. And these are kind of few and far between with all the development that happens on waterfront property. That same Fish and Wildlife study from 2020 that found there were 316,700 uh, bald eagles um, estimated as much as 30% of this bald eagle population was not associated with any breeding territory. So that's crazy. 30% of them are single. A 2014 study found only one in four adult bald eagles in the Chesapeake Bay were able to secure suitable breeding territory. So I, I guess even though their population is going up, like they're just running out of nesting sites. And so, I don't know, I guess there's just a lot of bald eagles going to bars and, you know, cruising around. They, they don't really have a home. <laughs> Uh, bald eagles are pretty um, long-lived birds. Um, the oldest known wild bald eagle was 28, uh, but they have lived to 47 years old in captivity. 
As I mentioned earlier, juveniles have higher mortality rates than adults. The first year survival rate varies depending on what population and geographical location is being studied and ranges anywhere from 67% um, at its lowest. Um, this is usually for juveniles that have to migrate. You know, migration is, is very hard on, uh, on birds in general, so it might only be a 67% survival rate that first year for them. But, um, you know, the more southern areas where they don't have to migrate, it can jump up to 92%. There doesn't seem to be much of a difference between nesting success between bald eagles in more wild areas and those in suburban areas, at least uh, from a study from Florida conducted between 1996 and 2002 that I read. However, this study did find higher mortality in juvenile eagles that were born and raised in suburban areas. Um, interestingly, all but one of these deaths occurred due to human causes, so it's thought that because these juvenile eagles were raised in suburban areas, once they go out to rural areas, they're a little too conditioned by, you know, human presence, um, and, you know, so they might be, you know, flying too close to cars, buildings, you know, something like that, and, uh, that'll result in their demise. So a couple threats to bald eagles, and I'll start with diseases here. You know, me as a doctor, I love uh, <laughs> love diseases. Well, I don't love diseases, but I love learning about them. Um, bald eagles, you know, get a variety of the common bird diseases. They can get avian cholera. Um, they can get um, chlamydia, um, pistachi. Um, this is a disease which can affect humans too, actually. Um, pistachi means parrot. Um, because this disease was first isolated in pet parrots. Um, and bald eagles seem to get this disease almost entirely from suburban uh, residences um, where they're likely interacting with pet parrots and finches. Uh, monk parakeets, which are an invasive species of Florida that I also cover in my uh, avian assailants episode, um, can transmit this disease to bald eagles. Uh, they can also be infected by avian flu, specifically a strain called highly pathogenic A slash goose slash Gondong slash one slash 1996 lineage of influenza A. Uh, for the past 20 years, uh, this has been causing devastating outbreaks for birds in Europe, Asia, and Africa. But in 2021, it finally made the leap from Europe to the east coast of Canada, where it's quickly spread via migratory waterfowl throughout much of North America. Bald eagles acquire this disease when they eat waterfowl that have died from the disease, and then they catch it. The epicenter right now of the um, this avian A flu um, seems to be in the southeastern United States. 136 bald eagles um, have been confirmed to have died from it. And it's a pretty terrible death. When you look at the symptoms, the bald eagles show symptoms of head shaking, obvious distress, and paralysis. And then on autopsy, they have multi-organ necrosis and brain inflammation. And it's not just diseases, toxins are a big um, cause of mortality on bald eagles. Uh, you know, we already talked about DDT, but um, because they scavenge carcasses, they can end up with toxins or poisons um, that are present in the bodies of whatever they're eating. Uh, there's been a couple cases of eagles poisoned with phenobarbital after eating the carcasses of euthanized animals that were improperly disposed of. A quick note on these toxins, um, lipophilic or fat-dissolvable toxins are especially deadly to bald eagles because the bald eagle digestive tract is super good at absorbing fats and proteins with a 70-85% to 85 efficiency rate. And also fat-soluble um, toxins tend to like last longer in the body too. Ingestion of lead-based ammunition is a leading cause of mortality in bald eagles. They ingest this when they scavenge animals that have been shot. 
1992 in British Columbia, 14% of dead bald eagles collected at elevated levels of lead in their system. Really, lead ammunition needs a national ban. Um, I mean, we've banned lead paint, lead gasoline. Let's ban lead ammunition. I've I've talked about it before in my show too. I think especially in my uh, um, episode I do with um, some of the veterinarians at uh, at Blue Ridge uh, Wildlife Rehab Center. Uh, another poison that can inadvertently affect bald eagles when they scavenge on carcasses is rat poison. Um, you may have heard of the blood thinner warfarin or coumadin um, that humans use, um, and this is essentially what's used in rat poison too. Um, so it inhibits vitamin K, which is crucial for clotting your blood, um, and this basically causes the rats to just like hemorrhage internally and die. Um, it's very efficient at killing rats, but also if eagles eat it or other scavengers eat it, um, then you know they can die too. Um, there are restrictions put out by the EPA to kind of help limit some of this, but still a majority of bald eagles appear to have been exposed to this chemical. Um, I found a study from 2020. Um, they found that 83% of 116 bald eagles that they surveyed um, had some level of you know, rat poison, blood thinning chemicals in them. And something to keep in with, you know, these toxins too from scavenged carcasses is the the young birds, like I said earlier, the immature bald eagles are especially relying on scavenging. So they're the ones that are most likely to be exposed to all these toxins. There's a lot of other toxins too, thallium, strychnine, you know, mercury, PCBs. Um, I won't go into all those. Um, but there's another toxin that's pretty interesting that affects bald eagles. Um, this one does not come from humans. It actually comes from bacteria. It's called atochthonotoxin. It is an alkaloid compound produced by the cyanobacterium atochthonus hydrilicola. This is actually yet another story of invasive species wrecking havoc because this cyanobacterium, you know, otherwise known as algae, lives slowly on a plant called water thyme. This plant is native to the Old World in Australia, but in the 1950s, it was intentionally dumped into the canals of Miami and Tampa after not selling well as an aquarium plant. It was then separately introduced to many other areas in the U.S., um, as well as being spread via boat trailers and live wells. You've definitely seen this plant before. Um, I know I have. It has sort of like a tubular structure and grows in extremely dense colonies, um, especially around like boat ramps and lakes and ponds. Basically what happens is the waterfowl ingest this invasive water thyme. Uh, they become poisoned by the toxin, die, and then are eaten by bald eagles, which in turn die. It's yet another brutal death. Uh, the condition is called vacular myelinopathy um, that causes lesions in the brains and spinal cord. It was first discovered after a mass die-off of birds, including 70 bald eagles, around DeGray Lake in Arkansas. Other leading causes of death are collisions with buildings, wind turbines, cars. Um, th that's a big killer of bald eagles. Shooting, yep, it still happens with bald eagles. Um, I found an article from the Army Corps of Engineers that particularly bemoaned this happening um, because they're heavily involved with, you know, building those hacking towers and, and with rehabbing and uh, the bald eagles and helping boost their populations in the, you know, 70s, 80s. So uh, I found an article from them and they were particularly <laughs> miffed at um, Vicksburg, Mississippi, um, where it appears they were pretty trigger happy and averaged killing 11 bald eagles a year. Bald eagles also will die in fights with other bald eagles, and electrocution from collisions with power lines kills hundreds of bald eagles a year. 
again, with, you know, when I talk about mortality of most birds, I mean, the biggest factor is habitat destruction, human disturbance, and, you know, climate change. So um, those are all things that, that we can do better on. One last thing I want to end on is preserve mature tree stands. Um, you know, these bald eagles, both for their roosting sites and their nesting, they need those mature trees. So, so we need to not cut them down, leave them up, let forests grow to be mature. Um, providing nesting platforms for eagles doesn't appear to, to really help a lot. You know, ospreys readily use nesting platforms. Eagles, not so much. Um, you will see them nesting on towers sometimes, especially, you know, ones that, you know, were done uh, through the, the hacking program. And really, usually when you see them nesting, like in, in cell phone towers or man-made structures, that usually means that they've run out of more natural settings to nest in. So it's actually kind of a bad sign. All right, y'all. Home stretch here. Let's uh, soar like an eagle do the last part here on evolution. And then I'll let y'all get back to your 4th of July grilling. So bald eagles are part of the order Acipitiformes. Um, that contains birds like eagles, hawks, kites, and vultures. You'll notice falcons are not part of that group. Um, and if you've listened to my osprey, peregrine falcon, or turkey and black vulture episode, uh, you have a bit of an idea about the evolution of this order. Um, falcons actually evolve separately. They're more closely related to parrots than they are to hawks and eagles. Um, hawks, eagles, vultures, are, they're all part of their, their own group. I won't go super crazy into the evolution section. Like I said, listen to my vulture and my osprey episode if you want to kind of know a little bit more about acipiter evolution. Um, this order first formed around 73 million years ago. The ancestral raptor was likely a territorial bird living in a forested environment and was a predator. It splits into a few major families. The first one to break off is the one containing the New World vultures, like the turkey vulture and black vulture. The next to split off is that of the secretary bird, um, unique in this order because while it's a fierce predator, it's mostly flightless. And finally, the family containing hawks, eagles, kites, old world vultures, and eagles splits off from the osprey family. This big hawk-eagle family further breaks down in some major clades. The bald eagle is part of a clade called the sea eagles, or Haliantinae. This group contains 10 species, and their close relationship has been confirmed with mitochondrial analysis. The first sea eagles turn up in the fossil record are from the Oligocene period, between 23 to 33 million years ago. The first sea eagles who turn up in the fossil record are from the Oligocene period, between 23 to 33 million years ago, and were found in a quarry in Egypt. Um, there's not much of this specimen. It's known from a single piece of leg bone that resembles mostly that of modern sea eagles, but also shares characteristics with kites and old world vultures. Uh, to which modern-day sea eagles are fairly closely related. So while it's more of an intermediate species, uh, maybe not fully adapted to eating mostly fish yet, um, it still is, uh, you know, the, the most basic sea eagle that we have in the fossil record. <laughs> I did read a paper that went a bit over my head and focused on looking at rates of gene duplication in acipiters um, to predict divergence. It found that gene duplication has been evolving independently in closely related kites, sea eagles, harriers, hawks, and old world vultures as far back as 47 million years ago. So that suggests that that's when they began to differentiate was 47 million years ago. Um, and then, like I said, that fossil pops up around 23, 33 million years ago and looks like we kind of have a definitive sea eagle. Around this time is when India was colliding with the Eurasia continent, creating a massive shallow water sea in the Bay of Bengal. 
um, which would have provided ample fish. There's a theory that the sea eagle could have first evolved here. It's supported by the fact that 4 out of 10 sea eagle species can be found around the Indian Ocean today. By the early Miocene, though, around 15 million years ago, sea eagle fossils start popping up that are much more similar to today's modern-day sea eagles, showing that this group had finally come into its own. Molecular clock estimates, which help predict how much genetic mutation and variation occur, and therefore evolution, suggest that all modern-day sea eagles diverged from a common ancestor around 5 million years ago. However, since fossils of sea eagles exist from tens of millions of years earlier than that, the evolutionary history is likely a bit more complicated. While our modern sea eagle species first took form in the past 5 million years, there was likely many more now extinct species that all had evolutionary lines that contributed to today's sea eagles. This also argues a little bit against that out-of-bay-of-Bengal theory of evolution that sea eagles, you know, first evolved when India was colliding uh, with Eurasia. Um, because even though 4 to 10 modern species can be found around the Indian Ocean, they all evolved within the past 5 million years, and that's way after that shallow sea was first forming 30 million years ago. So all that to say, who knows where geographically they first started to evolve. The bald eagle's closest relative is the white-tailed sea eagle, um, from which the bald eagle diverged from about 1 million years ago. Likely when the white-tailed sea eagle ancestors invaded North America via the Bering Strait or across the Atlantic, using Greenland as a stepping stone. Bald eagles first start turning up in the fossil record in the late Pleistocene, around 125,000 years ago, and seem to have already spread all across the country, with fossil remains turning up on the East Coast in Virginia and Florida, and also on the West Coast in the La Brea Tar Pits. There are two recognized subspecies of bald eagles, the larger subspecies Alascansis breeds north of the 40th parallel, while the smaller Leucocephalus subspecies breeds south. By the way, the 40th parallel cuts through middle America. It actually forms the border between Nebraska and Kansas. Um, you'll notice that the larger subspecies is more northerly, following Bergman's rule nicely. Good old Bergman! I haven't mentioned him on this show in a long time. I'm glad to bring him back. All right, well, I hope that gave you a little idea of some bald eagle evolution. Um, I hope you learned all the biological facts you wanted to know, some cool uh, interactions with humans. I think the fact that they used to be, like, routinely shot and there were literally bounties on them is probably the most mind-blowing fact that, that I learned about them. But that's a wrap on this episode. Thanks so much for listening, y'all. Remember to write in if you'd like some free stickers. Check out the links provided in my Instagram page and on the show description to find Dirty Bird Podcast t-shirts. And as always, please, please write reviews. I hope you all have a wonderful and safe 4th of July. And as always, stay dirty, fellow birdies. Dirty Bird Podcast is brought to you by me, John, with my rotating panel of guests and co-hosts. Thanks for being on the show, everybody. The Dirty Bird theme song is by Ricky Pistone. Check out his groovy and hilarious music videos on YouTube. The outro music you're listening to right now is a song New York Redneck by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. The Dirty Bird podcast logo is by the very talented TJ Ranoski. And of course, a shout out to my beautiful wife, Lauren, who created my original logo. Check out the show notes for this episode for a full list of credits for any bird calls or sounds used in the episode. Thanks for listening.
horses at the track driving to Brooklyn ain't never coming back Tim's on the ground in the concrete jungle I might get into a little rumble